Welcome to Junior L's and Now What? Episode 141, Equip Episode 3. The tools for this venture, for the focus for the past handful of episodes with regards to Breaking to Rebuild, are by far the simplest and yet, I would argue, the hardest. Not because of their difficulty by and of themselves, but because the adversary does not want you to succeed. I'm going to read from the Book of Mormon, chap- uh, Book of Ether, chapter 12. And I'm going to dissect this after I'm done reading it. And I know I've repeated this, this passage before, but uh, I'll admit, I think I wrote down my, I guess, dissection of this without realizing that every step I'm going to give you from a tools perspective comes directly from this verse. So to give you a little background on this chapter, part of the reason why it's my favorite is when I was in junior high, so let's call it eighth grade-ish, so I was in my early teens, Um, as all early teens do, I was having my moments of struggle. And it was with, you know, friendship. What am I doing with my life? Uh, Where have I gone wrong? What do I want to do when I succeed? Blah, blah, blah. And I read Ether 12. And Ether has always been a very interesting book to me. It's approximately 15 chapters long, but it spans quite a bit more time than the entire Book of Mormon combined. Um, Thousands of years. And in the course of those 15 chapters, most of it focuses on the last handful of years of the existence of a group of people known as the Jaredites. And uh, the final prophet in that time, his name was Ether, hence the name of the book, uh, was the one who kind of compiled the records for this, really this era, this, this, this society. And he also prophesied a great deal. And one of the things that he kept running into was the fact that so many people just would not believe because they would not see. And and that was what what spoke to me as a child. Not because I needed to truly understand faith at the time. We all need to understand faith. That wasn't my immediate concern. But I felt the spirit very strongly. And I always have when I've read this chapter. Any verse in this chapter speaks to me that way. And I wonder if part of it is because even though Ether, as the prophet, was the one who compiled these books, you know, these plates, largely, it was actually a, a later, much later prophet, Moroni, the one who finally did the final compilation of the golden plates and then finally laid them to rest for Joseph Smith to later find, was the one who summarized a lot of what took place in the book of Ether. In fact, he took a few sections that Ether wrote and then uh, expounded on them himself and and talked a lot about the history of his own people as it relates to uh, the the transpirings of the book of Ether. And I, I think we all have felt like Moroni at one time or another. I mean, can you imagine being part of a society that has been ex- in existence for at least a thousand years, give or take, and by the society, I'm referring to, you know, Lehi and his clan when they left Jerusalem and eventually made their way to the Americas and, and then split into two nations, the Lamanites and the Nephites, and went to war many times. And then Christ came after he was resurrected and visited them. The people were unified for hundreds of years, and then they fractured into multiple groups. The Nephites, the Lamanites, uh, the Gadianton robbers eventually went to war and virtually decimated themselves, not quite to the extent the Jaredites did, because the Jaredites literally 
literally killed themselves to the last person. Um, whereas the Nephites were basically eradicated, and the Lamanites and the uh, and the Gadiant robbers survived, but um, dwindled into obscurity. I believe is the term. Well, in the course of all of this. Um, Moroni, whose father, Mormon, was the general of the Nephites, and he was the one who was trying to fight for the last possible hope for freedom, and ultimately failed. Um, Not he himself, it was more the people failed him. But his son, Moroni, one of the last living members of the Nephites, was now on the run. He was unwilling to, to forsake his faith, and he had a mission to do, and that mission was to finalize what he was prompted to put in writing or to find that it was already in writing so that Joseph Smith would eventually dig it up uh, and translate it. And in the course of this massive undertaking and this gigantic mission that he was under, he felt inferior to the job. I mean, truly inferior. I, I cannot fathom how he felt because I have felt that way myself many, many, many times. And uh, I can tell you that, as far as I know anyway, my mission isn't anywhere near as imperative as his was uh, because the, the, um, the church being restored really could not have happened had he not finished his mission and finished compiling the golden plates for Joseph Smith to eventually recover from his direction, Moroni's direction, later. So, coming back full circle again. The passage I'm going to read to you is from the book of uh, Ether, chapter 12, verse 27, and this is what he says. And if men, so this is uh, Christ speaking to Moroni, and if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble, and my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Um, this is really the centerpiece for this entire section that I've been talking about. Um, my poem, everything about it, comes down to this idea of being broken and then reforged. So to dissect these five pieces, I'm going to break them down into, or to dissect this verse, I'm going to break them down into five verse, or five pieces. I cannot speak. <laughs> um, item one, ask God... Heavenly Father, to help you see what needs to be or is already broken. Because in some cases, we feel, like Moroni felt, that I'm already um, not built for this, or I don't think I can succeed. To me, that's a sense that you're broken. And I'm not saying that necessarily in a bad thing, because we all have to be refurged anyway. So uh, it may hurt, but to to admit you're being broken, you know, that's, that's one thing. But sometimes the harder part is not knowing what part of you should be broken to be rebuilt. So first one is ask God. The second one I think is by and far the most difficult part of this whole thing. And this is really the part where um, the adversary is going to come at you with everything he has because pride is one of his greatest tools. And that is accepting what we're told. If we go to Heavenly Father and say, um, I think I'm pretty well off. And, uh, you know, I, I realize that I'm not perfect and I need to get better. So, you know, help me figure out what I need to be better at. So in essence, you're asking what needs to be broken so that it can be reforged. And if you're told something you don't like, 
a lot of us are going to want to push back and say, no, 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 I'm good enough. I like that part of me. Or, you know what, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really think I need to work on that. That's one of the hardest parts is to break your pride, turn it into humility and say, yeah, okay, I accept it. Help me fix it. The third one then is ask for help to fix it. Not just help me fix it and then go about your life. It's help me fix it and help me figure out what I need to do to do to do it. What tools do I need? Uh, how do I go about doing this? Um, what process do I follow? Um, can you put uh, things in my path? Now, I'm not saying that I want obstacles, but I definitely need tools to help me to overcome this. Uh, uh, teachers, uh, peers, whatever the case may be, so that I can understand how to break and how to be rebuilt. Uh, the fourth one, and this is something I've talked about a little bit before, and that is work hard on simple but hard tasks as you're rebuilt. And again, this goes back to don't be idle. Um, uh, back to Nephi, you know, do things with your hands, live after the manner of happiness. Uh, don't be idle. Uh, meditation, it's not necessarily idle because you're staying focused. Uh, you know, doing dishes, yard work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, stay busy because it will help perpetuate that doing. And doing is critical to the rebuilding process. Uh, if, you know, you're, you're the person who's forging a katana and uh, you, you're going to go about the standard process of using the different types of steel and you're going to squelch it in water so that it has that pretty little arc to it and so on and so forth. If you're going to start with just saying, hey, well, I've got the middle, just, you know, the rest of it's just going to happen on its own. Obviously, you're going to end up with just a chunk of metal at the end and nothing's going to happen. So don't stay idle, stay busy. And then the fifth one, and this one I think is one of the most critical ones and sometimes hard because some of us definitely have a pessimistic outlook. And that is always look for how this can and will bring you joy throughout. Uh, I have often imagined um, being on a train as the journey of life. Uh, yeah, the destination is pretty important, but sometimes the journey is equally or more important. Uh, have you heard the saying that says um, the ends justify the means, or in some cases, the means justify the ends? Well, I think this is what makes God's plan perfect, is that the ends and the means justify each other. The destination is important, but the journey is equally as important. Uh, there is an artist out there. Um, her name is Lorena McKennett. I've mentioned her before. And my all-time favorite song of hers, and I don't think it's nearly as popular as much of her other work, but it's called Dante's Prayer. And unless I'm much mistaken, she wrote it while she was on a train traveling through Siberia. And whenever I think of life's journey, that's kind of what I think, is being on a train traveling somewhere, traveling through Siberia, traveling through something. There's always something to experience, always something new. And there's always something that can inspire us throughout that process. And inspiration, let's take it for what it's worth. It's a good thing being inspired uh, because, you know, knowledge and information is never bad. How we use it, that's a different, different story. Um, so let me, let me take a personal example of this um, to the hard part, the admitting part. Uh, as, as many of you know, especially those who know me personally, um, I am a know-it-all unequivocally, and, and I'll, I'll come right out and say it. Uh, but I remember an experience from when I was younger. I was probably in my early teens, and uh, we were up in the mountains, and I'm going to leave this a bit vague and ambiguous. We'll just say there was family and extended family and, and even others 
at this this gathering. And we were having, myself and a few others, were having a, let's call it a discussion. Um, you might even be able to coin it as an argument. And throughout the course of this, uh, the people that I was interacting with were getting more and more and more frustrated until finally one of them said, it really does not matter what we say. No matter what, you will always have a comeback and you will always win. And it's so unfair. And I'm obviously not quoting this exactly because this was many years ago, decades ago. But that was not the first experience where I have had that. And it certainly was not the last. But it became apparent to me over the course of my life that I had a complex. I had a know-it-all complex, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, Do I think that I know a lot? Well, I think I know enough to know that there's far more to learn than I will ever learn in this mortality. Uh, That's my understanding today. But I have have a a drive to always speak, a desire to always say something. Uh, I always have a, my voice needs to be heard and my idea is gonna be the best. Uh, I remember being in band and the teacher was making fun of the different people who played different instruments and uh, the, the mockery of those who played the trumpet, which is what I played, was um, I'm the best trumpet player. It doesn't really matter if I am or not, but I am. And finally one day, I had to come to terms with that. I had to go to Heavenly Father and say, hey, can you help me get over this? Because it's a problem. Now, obviously, I didn't come to him and ask him to help me identify it as a problem because in this case, I finally realized it. And I'm not perfect at it by far. I know I still struggle with it. Um, But I hope that (laughs) I have a more humble attitude towards it now than I used to. And I think that my ability to interact with other people has improved because of that. And I would even argue, more important than that, my ability to grow as a person has improved because of it because my eyes have been opened and my ears have been unstopped, and I can see and hear things that I would not have otherwise seen and heard, which again has made me a better person because now I know more. So here's the tools. Ask for help to identify it. Accept it. Ask for help to fix it or to rebuild, as it were, or get reforged. Stay active. Find the joy in the journey and at the end. And remember, just because you need to be broken to be reforged, or just because you are broken, doesn't mean that you're any less important. The greatest among us have needed to be rebuilt more than most.